Well, Duncan, I am so grateful and excited to have you here today on the Connecting Construction Podcast. Uh, you are one of the minds that we've been trying to get here on here on this platform for a while now. Um, and I figured we'd just jump right into this conversation. Uh, Duncan, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, your role at Trimble, and your passion for sustainability? Sure thing. And thank you so much for having me on, Evan. And it's, uh, it's lovely to meet you. Um, so yeah, I'm a sustainability manager here at Trimble. Um, been working on um, quantifying the company's carbon emissions and looking at key areas that we're going to need to focus going forwards. As everyone's probably aware, sustainability is becoming a, a bigger topic. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely doing our part to address that now. Um, so what's happening at the moment is we've set science-based targets in line with the Paris Agreement and they're currently under review by the Science-Based Target Initiative uh, and we'll be able to announce the details once we receive approval. So more to come on that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. As I said, so grateful to have you on. Um, well, hey, actually one quick item I want to dive into. Everybody can kind of guess by your accent that you're probably from the UK. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. well, yeah. I was actually in your neck of the woods in, uh, well, actually, I'm not sure how close uh, you live to London. How far out of London are you? Uh, I'm in the north of England. Okay, so probably a few hours. Yeah, there's a fast train by two hours, but otherwise it's a four hour drive. Okay, well, I just spent my first time in the UK in uh, January of 2020 and absolutely loved it, loved your tea time and loved your culture. <laughs> So um, I think you're our first our guest first guest from the UK. So I uh, just wanted to tee that up. Well, hey, um, let, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. I guess, have you always worked in the construction field? What was your first job? How did your passion for sustainability sort of um, uh, find its way in this space? <clears throat> Um, so yeah, I've not actually worked in the construction field. It's um, I've come into this in a segue, really. Um, so my background's in sustainability and conservation. Obviously, there's lots of construction projects going on, um, and we need to make sure that um, they're done properly and within environmental regulations uh, and, and all that jazz. So my my focus has always been to meet in the middle where construction projects meet with the uh, the environment's needs, um, which has grown beyond just environmental now to sustainability. Um, so my first real relevant job was for the Department of the Environment uh, in Jersey, which is a tiny island near France. Um, so I was just a volunteer there um, and eventually started working for them as well as an environmental consultancy. Uh, so we worked with things like protected species, planning applications uh, and construction projects, as well as some um, GIS work. Um, but more relevant to Trimble, uh, after my master's degree in sustainable development, I got a job at NM Group, which is in the geospatial sector. Um, and that company was later acquired by Trimble. So the majority of my knowledge about Trimble's capabilities comes from here, uh, as I worked both in gathering data for utility companies and seeing the finished product we were able to deliver. And our potential is frankly astounding, and I'm very excited at the prospect of what we can achieve using these capabilities for sustainability. That's awesome. Diving right sort of into your uh, 
or picking apart this expertise of yours, you recently wrote a blog titled How the Construction Industry Can Better Use Recycled Building Materials, and it, and it sort of made the rounds. I got a couple of links to it over email. Can you tell us a little bit of the background of that post? Share, us some, share with us some of the key highlights and ultimately what you learned. Yeah, so I was asked to write um, a blogger article on how we can better use recycled building materials. Um, so I immediately wanted to jump on that opportunity because uh, recycling is something I care about a lot and I think it's misunderstood. Um, so recycling comes with all kinds of inefficiencies and there's actually a much uh, greater scheme to follow, which is the circular economy. Um, so really I wanted to get into that. Um, so firstly, if people want to learn more, they can check out the Circular Economy Gap Report and the Circular Gap Report Initiative. Uh, all the info you could need is there and please also have a look at my blog, which I've been told we'll be able to share after this podcast, which is um, it's very good for me. Um, so the key message about circular economy is that it's more than one thing. So you need total systems thinking and sustainable design. Um, so the difference between a linear economy and a circular one is that a linear economy involves the flow of materials in one direction. So this is a take, make and waste model. And logically, you can see the world economy can't be set up in this way without a solution for the waste that's being created. So with a circular economy, it's a take, make and make use of again model intended to address this problem. So there's four key principles involved, which is using less resources to start with, using resources for longer, using resources again, and using clean resources. So this goes beyond the traditional concept of recycling, which it's important to point out is uh, flawed and inefficient. Um, I'd recommend a very good video, it's just on YouTube um, by NPR called, Is Recycling Worth It Anymore? Uh, it documents some of the large sorting facilities in the US to find out why and essentially um, you end up losing money by recycling. So I wanted to dig into that further and bring up these uh, four principles. Um, in relation to um, recycling building materials, <clears throat> the largest volume of waste currently comes from the demolition of buildings. Um, and only a third of construction waste is being reused. So a key question therefore is how can we build with less, design buildings for repair, reuse parts of buildings and build with clean resources. Um, so I think data and modeling will be a powerful tool here, um, which is an exciting area that Trimble uh, can play a part in. So as a sustainable sustainability professional, and this is maybe a little bit of a, a loaded question, but I am curious towards your answer on this. How would you say current efforts to move towards a circular economy are progressing? Yeah, it's... Um... It's a very big question um, and you can think about it regionally in the US or Europe or globally. Um, so I went away and thought about this for a while and uh, can summarize three areas. So trends in global regulations um, is a good way to think about where things are going. So originally China accepted two thirds of the world's plastic waste until 2016, and then they closed the doors to all but the highest quality recyclable plastic. Um, two thirds of the world's plastic waste is a staggering amount. Um, and when China closed its doors, it fell onto smaller countries, also uh, in the Asian region. 
to take on this uh, recycling load. So the smaller countries quickly became overwhelmed, began closing their doors uh, to waste imports at the scale and quality of the waste that was unmanageable. Um, so the effects can be seen uh, in new regulations. So as this waste is looking for somewhere to land and be dealt with, um, this, you know, you can see the effects of this in Europe. So the European Union has now uh, passed a tax of $1 per kilogram for non-recycled plastic packaging waste, which came into effect of January last year. So this was closely followed by the UK in November. Um, so any company dealing with export into the EU or UK will now start to feel the effects of this plastic crisis in their budgets. So you can see the kind of cascade effect from what happens in a big uh, economy like China introduces new regulations. Uh, second one was marketplaces. So this is one example of finding limits to waste capacity and how that affects regulation. Uh, another is we simply don't have infinite resources to mine and use. When you think about the most widely used materials in construction, concrete has to feature highly, of which sand is a major component. Global demand for sand is now so high that sand quarries are being placed under armed guard in Colombia and Dubai is having to import sand from Australia. Which might surprise people due to Dubai's proximity to a desert, but the useful grades of sand are more typically associated with fine deposits you get from places like riverbeds. And lastly, for waste facilities, uh, I feel sorry for waste facilities. They're increasingly overstretched and underfunded. In reality, the business model for reclaiming materials uh, doesn't work. By the time you've sorted it and transported it, you're usually running at a loss. This means only valuable things are likely to be reclaimed, like metal or things that are easier to separate from a pile of mixed, uh, mixed waste. Um, I think the myth of recycling has perpetuated the problem by providing a magic solution. Whereas in reality, recycling is often inefficient, but it's the best solution we have, so people shouldn't stop, but it's highly inefficient unless you make life easier for the people in reclamation and sorting facilities by separating out raw materials like wood, plastic, metal, etc. Um, I think there's a really interesting point there that we're missing this dialogue between society, manufacturers and reclamation sites. And this problem is only going to get worse without regulation to make up for the lack of monetary incentive involved. So obviously one of the biggest news stories that has dominated the airways recently is um, the infrastructure bill. Um, it was one of the Democrats and Biden's uh, main policy objectives over the past year, year and a half. That recently passed. There's also a secondary um, bill called the Build Back Better uh, framework, which has um, more specific, uh, I guess you could say, emphasis around sustainability that has not passed and is actually sort of politically stuck in um, the Senate right now. That That's the bill where everybody's excited about potential EV, um, you know, tax rebates, a ton of uh, uh, money for EV funding, charging station fundings, like that's the more sustainability focused bill. But the infrastructure bill obviously does do a lot towards um, accelerating that shift towards sustainability. Um, why don't you give me your thoughts on that bill and the impact it will have on America's acceleration to a sustainable economy? Sure, yeah. So uh, obviously I was interested in seeing when when or if this was going to land as well. There's, uh, it seemed like there was a lot of uh, to and froing. Um, and this was a bit less high on my radar. Being in the UK, it wasn't um, making headlines quite as much for me. But 
Um, it's definitely something I was paying attention to from afar. Um, and in terms of um, how it can aid those in industry um, to shift towards sustainability, um, I think now that it's happening, it will create opportunities for innovative solutions. Um, so one of the key areas in my understanding is that repairing roads is a key part of the bill. The repairing roads is a good example. It's a key area for the bill and there's some new innovations being made in road repair materials that could make a difference if this uh, technology lives up to the hype. Um, the USA extends and maintains 2.7 million miles of paved roads, which is enough to circle the planet 100 times and using over 400 million tons of carbon intensive asphalt and concrete materials. So concrete requires temperatures of 1500 Celsius or 2700 Fahrenheit in the manufacturing process. So this is a major contributor to climate change and makes up 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so recently the new tech I just alluded to uh, is sulfur-based organic polymer binding technologies or binder technologies uh, that's just about coming on the market. I'm very hopeful this will deliver great carbon reduction results as it's much less energy intensive to produce and it also doesn't require heating during application so when you're pouring it on the roads uh, it's not like a, a hot tar situation and also sulfur is one of the most abundant elements on the planet so to me it shouldn't be constrained in its availability for use on a large scale um, which is always something i think about when new technologies come around and Advances in steel manufacturing are also happening, um, which will also play uh, a key part, but requires lots of funding in that transition. Um, so I think this is another key area that the bill can impact. Um, so the technological advancements, you can make steel using electric arc furnaces and direct reduced iron methods. Uh, so these are alternatives to coal burning blast furnaces, which is the most carbon intensive of the steel manufacturing technologies. Uh, steel manufacturing again contributes 8% of global CO2 emissions, making it a high priority to target. So shutting down old coal manufacturing mills and replacing them with electric arc requires vast amounts of funding. So <clears throat> electric arc furnaces is what it sounds like. Uh, it's high intensity electric arc um, produced in manufacturing process. So the reason that this has great potential is uh, with the increasing amount of green energy that's coming online. That could essentially um, put us in a position to make green steel, uh, which would be incredible considering its current CO2 uh, emissions. And direct reduced iron involves hydrogen, which if made from clean energy uh, sources would also mean that we could make green steel. That's the, These are very exciting technologies, but they're not widespread uh, and they're not um, used in the mainstream yet by a long way um, and shutting down old coal manufacturing mills and replacing them with electric arc requires vast amounts of funding so McKinsey which is one of the big three consultancy firms uh, in the US I think estimates the transition will require investments of 145 billion dollars per year on average for the next 30 years so to achieve this steel manufacturing will need hefty state funding and an increased demand for green steel, which is likely to become 30% more expensive to manufacture than regular steel. So in my mind, if the USA were to slap on a requirement for a percentage of steel used in any of the projects to be green before um, a project is allowed funding from the infrastructure bill, 
possibilities for lowering greenhouse gas emissions would be enormous. So one of the areas I have to ask you about is, you know, the retrofitting and renovation of existing buildings. This is sort of um, one of the key areas that people want us to dive into. How does that concept of renovating existing buildings, you know, impact sustainability goals long term? Um, well, to put things in context, 80% of the buildings that will exist in 2050 exist today. So it's clear there's going to be a demand for retrofitting, refurbishing existing materials. Um, sure, 20% of the buildings in 2050 being new built is a huge amount and it's not to be underestimated. But I think it's important to have the mindset that retrofitting and refurbishing is important and it, and it should definitely be a focus and quite a large focus going forwards. Um, and it's also important for countries to consider this. So countries are committing to carbon targets that are increasingly becoming enshrined in law. Uh, so this is one of the main functions of the Conference of Party events, uh, the most recent one being COP26, which has made uh, quite a lot of headlines for good and bad reasons, where countries haggle over nationally determined contributions, which basically means how much carbon they need to reduce from their annual input, uh, annual output and how much they are willing or able to commit to. So government policy then has to attribute a national target to the sectors within the country that contribute the most carbon emissions. Um, buildings will always play uh, be a key contributing sector. Um, so some good resources to look at um, for the measures that will be needed are the Exponential Roadmap 2030 and of course the Circularity Gap Report I previously mentioned. So a few key points from uh, the exponential roadmap um, is that we will need low carbon heating and cooling, <clears throat> double retrofitting, low carbon construction, and reduced energy use during operation. And retrofitting plays a key role in all these points. So low carbon heating and cooling can be achieved by installing better equipment like heat pumps or updating to condensing boilers, double retrofitting, essentially means we need to double the rate at which we're, in, we're, we're retrofitting. So installing LEDs, insulation, energy efficient ventilation and smart windows. Um, low carbon construction can be achieved by the reuse of old building structures, which while challenging is possible. And the reduced uh, operation expenses comes with improved insulation and heat recovery units. So for the last point, there's um, there's definite interest in the, in the private sector and there's going to be Oh, there is interest in um, national governments. Um, so regional property managers will be interested in reducing the running costs of their buildings. Uh, the energy required for operating a building during the course of its lifetime actually makes up the majority of its lifetime emissions. Um, its lifetime emissions meaning use, end of life, materials, construction and operation. So there's a win-win scenario here for carbon emission reduction plans as there'll be willingness from the private sector um, and this can be seen by the UK establishing retrofitting budgets as well as opening a new infrastructure bank, which is the first of its kind. So the funding will be there available for private sector um, property managers who are wanting to lower their own operating uh, costs. So it makes total sense in terms of that win-win. Um, and following the pathway of countries' carbon commitments around building emissions to the establishment of funding and now dedicated banks, shows there's potential and willingness of those involved to make progress in this space and represents big opportunities for companies that can aid in the process.
last question I want to ask you is really just about, um, uh, you know, advice for executive leaders looking to uh, transition their companies towards more of a net zero, um, you know, focus on sustainability. What advice would you give to executive leaders looking to drive the, these sorts of initiatives within their own companies and organizations? Um, I think um, something that's quite surprising is that people don't know about funding opportunities. Um, so there was a time where um, I was involved in um, large, so they called the West Yorkshire Combined Authority, and essentially they had a responsibility to bring the European uh, Development Fund to uh, projects where it, where it could be applied and used. But nobody knew about this fund, so it was kind of part of their job to um, approach people. <laughs> so everyone, nobody would trust you if you came uh, to a company and said, "Hey, you know, we've we've got money for you." Um, nobody really trusts that type of person, but that was generally part of the job. So I think what I would advise to executive leaders looking to get um, involved in these kind of sustainability. Um, processes or developments is to see what's out there. Um, there's more funding than people might realize. Um, and it's definitely something that should be tapped into. Great. Well, thanks again, Duncan. Duncan Williams, Sustainability Manager at Tremble. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are super grateful to have your expertise. And this is obviously one of the most talked about, um, conversated, hot topics not only in construction, frankly, um, in world politics today. So thanks again, Duncan, and uh, we appreciate your time, and we'll see you guys next time on the Connecting Construction. Thank you, Evan.